Welcome, one and all, to episode 115 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, uh, we're melting in Arizona. It was a, a balmy 118 degrees today um, on this on this Tuesday, June 15th. Um, as, as nothing's going on in the entire sporting universe, but... We're still here, and we've got plenty to talk about today uh, on this week's episode of the original Draft Breakdown podcast because, well, I mean, Big Draft just continues to be the gift that keeps on giving. That's right. Uh, we've, we've talked about comparisons before, and we've talked about uh, back a few weeks ago in the episode titled Blessed by Big Draft, we talked about this quarterback, and this uh, came through today on, on Twitter Daniel Jeremiah compared Sam Howell, the quarterback from North Carolina, to 2018's number one overall draft pick, Baker Mayfield. And I think we touched on that that was going to be the comp. And now that is the comp from one of the uh, most prominent draft nicks on the internet, on TV. And he has he, he's blessed... Sam Howell with that comparison. So I want to talk a little bit about that comparison. For one thing, uh, we did touch on this, how I'm not sure like Sam Howell's athleticism is going to transfer, is going to really transfer to the pro game. But uh, has, hasn't has Sam Howell done more in his first two years of college than Baker Mayfield did? I mean, let's, let's talk about that for a sec. Yeah, and I think you get the – the comparisons based on, you know, size. Um, I know we joked a lot about it with with Emory Hunt, the moxie that these guys kind of play with. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how his first two seasons, sixty eight touchdowns to only fourteen interceptions, uh, improved, you know, statistically this year. In basically every way, but touchdown passes, uh, and did so on eighty less passing attempts. Um, you you look at how and the player he is, and what I see more than anything is the uh, Mac Brown impact that he's had on a lot of quarterbacks that are similar. To in skill set to to Sam Howell, Um, you know you've had Colt McCoy that played the same way. Uh, You know he he has that kind of Texas gritty, and 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 that is the same way that Baker Mayfield was, was he not? Yeah, I I think they're. I think that's the draw is like, okay, you have this like shorter, uh, how's, I guess a little taller than Mayfield or at least listed a little taller, but you've got the shorter kind of stockier kind of frenetic playing energetic. And again, with the moxie, with the grit, that this kind of quarterback. And so visually, even the beard now, how sporting the beard like Mayfield has been sporting with, uh, with Cleveland Brown. So you've got all this, these, these visual similarities, and I guess that's where it always seems to me like big draft starts with these visual similarities. But then from there, it even goes to it seems like all their comps are then are to like 
either star players, like guys that have really become established, Pro Bowls, sometimes even Hall of Famers, we joke about it, or it's somebody who's come out very recently. So it's like, it's very easy to make that comp. Here's Baker, he's like a shorter, he's a more stocky build. He's like a frenetic athlete, but he's not a great athlete. And here's how he comes with, I guess, some similar some similar play style and, um, and similar look, just similar aesthetics. So it becomes an easy comp because that you only have to go back a few years to make that comp. And I just feel like, um, you know, it's, it's, it seems too easy, I guess. And it's not like I, it's not like I'm saying I hate the comp, but it just feels a little bit too easy, too convenient at this stage in the game. But I think that's what comps are for the the lay person is that you get something familiar and something that you know right off the top of your head. And, and so it is lazy because it's the easiest way to describe how a player plays without giving any caveats, without giving any um, weight behind. And, and so when we talk about comparisons a lot one of the things that we always key on is that yeah a guy has a high end of a star type player um but what is his low end because what is what are the the potential pratfalls of a guy like sam Howell? what are the things that could make sam Howell not hit in the nfl because too often these guys give out these lofty comparisons the player never hits and they never revisit why. And then fans don't understand or they just move on and they don't not saying you have to hold these guys accountable, but there's no, there's no accountability for saying that, you know, um, I can't even think of it. The most asinine one I've heard recently, but what about David Montgomery, that, that Frankenstein comparison where they say he's got like, He's got the athleticism of Barkley and the vision of this all-pro running back and the receiving ability of this one. You know, it was a, a famous one they posted uh, that somebody uh, posted on a graphic during the middle of a game. And it's like you're, you're not only, in that case, comparing him to one Hall of Famer, but, but to several all-pro or Hall of Fame-type running backs. And uh, certainly Montgomery had a pretty good uh, season last year bolstered by a five-game stretch where he played really, really well. But outside of those five games during his career, he's been pretty average. And w- with 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 this comp, it's not even that's not even like my problem with it because I don't think Mayfield is a super high-end comp. He's he's a very he's played very well two out of his three seasons, and he certainly uh, he's developing a cult following with the Cleveland Browns fans because he he. Uh, led them to a playoff berth and a playoff win. So he seems like a really good leader. But I think in some ways, you know, you, you said it's lazy. I'll let you, that's your word for it. I don't want to go that far with it. But um, I think there are differences between these guys that are going to play out. You know, one thing Hal's done better early in his career is throw the deep ball with, I think, a lesser talent on his roster than what Mayfield had when he was at Oklahoma. But then, of course, when he went to Oklahoma and he had um, had those weapons, he was able to, to develop some of those deep deep ball skills that he's, he's carried over. But I still think he's a work in progress there. 
Hal, I don't think has, I don't even think he has Mayfield's level of running ability, athleticism, but he's a little bit bigger. So I just wish there was like a, another stocky quarterback we could make this comparison to. But I think that I go back to the visual aspect of it. And I think why that's why this is like the first one that pops to your head when you're looking at Sam Howell. One of the biggest things from this offseason has been the open transfer rule and the ability for players to transfer from colleges without having to sit out a year or any type of penalties. Um, this offseason, we've seen four guys transfer to prominent top 12, 15 programs in the league. And these could be guys that kind of make or break the upcoming playoff aspirations for teams. Um, first off, do you think that the transfer rule should stay as is, or is it something that you think players should have to sit out a year? Like, what's your just opinion on that? I like it. I like the uh, open rule where guys can transfer and play right away. Because it keeps these guys from from being on ice for a year. And we see it where coaches have this freedom to move about, to even uh, to to get a better job somewhere else. Or if the uh, head coach is laid off, the assistants are free to go sign elsewhere. And I I, I don't think I've ever thought it's very fair for players to uh, have to endure a coaching change not really know where they stand while that while the new coach recruits his his new players and then uh, these guys have to kind of wallow and see if they you know can they fight it out can they win a job um, other circumstances might be where you have a team that recruits very well at quarterback they recruit two or three quarterbacks in a, in a class and one of them wins the job and he's there you know there he's there starting for two or three years and the other quarterback, might be just a fraction less talented or maybe just a fraction, maybe just not quite uh, the arm strength or not quite the running ability of the guy in front of him. This frees them up to go. Uh, it's it's kind of like free agency. I know a lot of old school people don't really like this, but it allows these athletes some freedom to go play. And really that's what, that's what they their whole goal is. They go from high school to college. The idea is they're going to play. They're going to see the field. I like this because... It allows more guys, in my opinion, to see the field without having to, you know, you're not going to have a situation now where Matt Castle gets drafted in the seventh round because he just backed up um, you know, Matt Leinart for four years, and, and he's just been a backup his whole time. You, you know, nowadays a guy like Castle could have transferred and gone and started a year or two somewhere else, and I think that's what, what these four guys were talking about. Uh, they have different circumstances around why they transferred, but I think they're all going to be key players on big-time teams this coming season. Let's start with the number one team in the nation. They got a running back from Tennessee, Eric Gray. Uh, listed at 5'10", 205 pounds. He's going to be a true junior, I believe. Right. Uh, uh, last year, decent season. I wouldn't say... Game-changing season, but very decent season. Uh, 772 rushing yards, just under five yards per carry, 
only four touchdowns, but he catches the ball well out of the backfield. 30 receptions, 254 yards, and two touchdowns. So a strong two-way back, something we haven't seen a ton of at Oklahoma in this uh, in the Lincoln-Riley era. Um, what are your expectations for Gray? So Oklahoma loses Ramondre Stevenson. They uh, TJ Pledger, I believe, left the program. They get Kennedy Brooks back after he opted out to uh, the 2020 season. He had 2,000-yard seasons to, to, to start off his career at Oklahoma. So Gray has some competition going in. But my expectation, I think Gray's going to beat out Kennedy Brooks or at least become a, a 1A to Brooks 1B because Gray's got – that he's got four or five speed. He has that receiving ability that you mentioned. We saw, even though it's kind, he's kind of limited by Tennessee's, you know, by by their uh, offense, by their program standing. We saw him break some big plays, and I think he's a big home run hitter, a guy with home run potential, with uh, speed that's going to be in the four or five range. And and uh, he was a three time fo- Mister Football in the state of Tennessee before he went to the Vols. So this is a guy who's highly touted to recruit. I have high expectations for Eric Gray, and I think everybody has pretty high expectations for Eric Gray going to OU. And I think that's why, that that's part of the reason why they're so, they're ranked number one coming in the preseason polls. Jack Cohn is a fifth-year senior quarterback out of Wisconsin, or from Wisconsin, I guess I should say. Um, played one season as their starter, was fine. Uh, 70% completion percentage, but only 2,700 yards, 18 touchdowns, five interceptions. Going to Notre Dame, um, replacing the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history, Ian Book. Is this classic... um, Wisconsin quarterback going somewhere just to hold the hold down the fort for one year. I mean, is he even going to make it through the years the starter? You think? Yeah, uh, good question. Yeah, he he transfers under you know Gray transferred from Tennessee because there was I I imagine primarily because there was a coaching change there. Cone transfers because he he really uh, I think got hurt and he got then he got beat out replaced by Graham Mertz who's a highly touted recruit there at Wisconsin. So Cone found a new home, and I think it says a lot that Notre Dame went after him because they do need that placeholder, I think. They've got a highly touted recruit coming in themselves, but it looks like uh, they would feel comfortable with a guy like Cone starting for a year. And do I think he'll make it through the whole year? You know, it all depends, but I I think we talked about Notre Dame's schedule a couple weeks ago, and... um, if I recall, it's generally a pretty friendly schedule. They have a couple games like uh, the USC game where they didn't have to play them last year, and we think they're going to be a pretty good team this year. So, but you know, if Cone, uh, he's a careful passer. He's accurate, and Wisconsin finished 11th in the nation the year he started. They, I think, they finished with a 10 and 4 record, but they did finish 11th overall. And I believe they went to the Big Ten championship game that year. So they did, and then they they went to the Rose Bowl that year as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, he's a 
he's a capable guy. I don't think he's a, a great pro prospect by any means. He's probably like a undrafted or late round guy, but um, yeah, I think he's going to be a, a, just a bridge quarterback for them. And I think he can make it through the year as long as he stays healthy. Yeah. And you know, the, we've got a couple more, but a hot take on this whole thing. And that this comes from Jeffrey, the Greek on Twitter. Um, the reason Notre Dame brought in, brought in Cone is because he is a dead eye, uh, passer. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, he said 70%, right? He's dead. Yeah, eye, but, you know, from but, four or five but years let's out. be honest. Let's be honest. What Notre Dame does as a program right now and what they've done the last couple of years, they don't need somebody that can throw the ball all over the place because they've invested heavily in just being able to run the football against hopefully anybody. And, I mean, that's the thing. That was why, and not to you know take a shot here, but that's why they were closer in the game than Ohio State was against Alabama because <laughs> – yeah, they can they can slow down the game and just run the football. Well, they have and they they have a running back returning, Kyron Williams, who is uh, I believe he's going to be a junior, and he put up a big numbers last year. They've got some guys behind him that can play as well, and then they have one of the top tight ends in the nation, who's only a sophomore, Michael Mayer, or is it Michael Meyer? We'll have to uh, let people correct us on that, but he, he's a big time, big time tight end. Uh, prospect and only a true sophomore. So Cone's got something to work with. They're going to play defense. They're going to have a friendly schedule. So I think he's going to maintain the job for this bridge year. Uh, Next guy I want to mention, of course, this is Jameson Williams from Ohio State. He transferred out. It became apparent that Ohio State is just uh, overflowing with receivers. And And last year, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who are both back, they took on the uh, lion's share of the targets. The third highest uh, receiving total was Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end, and he had, I think, 15 catches or so. So there just didn't seem to be enough targets out there for Jameson Williams at Ohio State with some of these freshmen and sophomores that are there behind Olave and Wilson. So Wilson, Will, Williams actually transfers from Ohio State to Alabama, which is something that I think is very unusual. It's, I mean, I understand you want to play, and so you go to a weaker mm-hmm. program. with. <laughs> but he, he, ironically, I mean, he, Williams transfers from the runner-up to the national championship, the national champion, and he's got a better chance of playing immediately. In effect, I think he's going to have a big role immediately because he's a guy six foot two, 189 pounds, runs four in the four threes. He was said to be Ohio State's fastest receiver on that roster. So now he's going to Alabama, and they have lost Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle over the last couple of years. There is a role to fill there, and Jameson Williams has a chance to be a big impact player as a true junior this year with that uh, transfer rule in place. So I think Williams is going to – yeah, I think he's going to exceed any expectations. And not to take anything away from – or put him in the rugs and and Waddle conversation, but he's 
significantly bigger at 6'2", 190. Because they're both, what, 5'10", 5'11". Right, he gives a little size element in there. And, um, you know, and he could also fill in uh, with some of the route running that that, uh, we saw from Devontae Smith. He doesn't just have to be... And that's the thing, Alabama and Ohio State, they, they cross-train these receivers to play at all different, all the different positions across the, the formation. So Williams is going to be prepared. I hear, I hear that he's already uh, impressing in practices. And don't forget, he had that big, big-time uh, touchdown deep ball from Justin Fields in that Ohio State's win against Clemson. So this guy's not a stranger to the big stage. He only had nine catches last year, but he can make big plays. I, I really like this fit. It's Ohio State's loss, honestly. The final guy, Ty Chandler, another Tennessee back, bailing. He is a fifth-year senior as well. He's played all four seasons, so he's taking advantage of another rule this year and that an extra year of eligibility, even though he's played four full seasons. Um He's going to UNC, and that was something we've talked about quite a bit with the departure of Javante Williams and Michael Carter, is that they really had nothing in the hopper. Now they get a an experienced SEC-tested running back that's averaged just under five yards per carry in his career, never been the lead guy, so despite having four years in the program only has 421 carries in his career um what do we expect from a guy that's going to get to play with heisman hopeful sam howell and to the unc team that put up just ungodly offensive numbers last year I think that Ty Chandler is kind of a needed piece for this program, and it's not because they don't have guys waiting in the wings, but they lost so much with two running backs, uh, two receivers. They lost so much that they needed somebody who has some experience, who's got a lot of carries. Or I know, like you said, he hasn't got a ton of carries for being a four-year guy, but he has a lot more carries than, than the other guys they have on their roster. UNC's leading returning rusher is Sam Howell. They needed a running back that can come in and get some of that get some of that work early on, and I think this is a good fit. I don't think he's like near the prospect that Eric Gray is, but it's a good opportunity for for Ty Chandler to become the uh, number one guy for a year at least, and and see if he can hold on to that role and see if he can parlay that into becoming a mid round draft pick. I think he's you know he's good size, six foot two ten, and uh, I think he's a good fit here because certainly, like I said, UNC needed an infusion of talent uh, or at least an infusion of veteran talent. And I mean, the expectations are not low with him. Uh, You talk about it, you know, you, you look at the tweets and expectations uh, pro football focus college at PFF underscore college asked who will have the best offense in 2021. And the candidates are, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and North Carolina. And, you know, some of the responses about why North Carolina is because of the expectation that Ty Chandler will break out in this North Carolina offense, this Mac Brown open 
wide open offense with let's be honest and let's be honest an awful ACC. That's really interesting to me. I I didn't really see it that way. And we're going to talk about on the Patreon show this week, we're going to talk about Bruce Feldman's list that he put out this week on The Athletic of 35 breakout players. And Ty Chandler wasn't one of them. He did have some seniors on there, but Ty Chandler wasn't one of them. But uh, that being said, I still think he's key to uh, UNC success this year because of uh, the attrition. And I'm surprised. I know that they have some good recruits, and uh, Mac Brown's done a good job. But I don't know, like that's high company to put North Carolina in. They have never proven that they're able to reload the way those other programs have been. Anything else before we get out of here? I wanted to read this hot take. Um, it And I don't even think it's like a super hot take. I just thought it was a good tweet and it made me laugh. So um, this is from Mario Quig and he is at Roto Wire Mario, and he's, this is a guy I've followed for a long time on Twitter, and um, he gets some good zingers in every once in a while, and primarily works with fantasy, but I think he does a pretty good job evaluating skill players too. And he and I go way back uh, for uh, with our love for Will Fuller. I remember that back in the day. And Mario tweets: the people who see Cam Akers as equal or otherwise comparable to Jonathan Taylor are the same ones who thought players like Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders were as good or better than Nick Chubb. Maybe they will improve at this, but for now they are illiterate on the subject. <laughs> I mean, he pulled no punches there. And uh, I'm not sure exactly who he's referring to, but <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I think it's clear that he thinks Jonathan Taylor is a superior running back to Cam Akers. And I do too. Um, but certainly a lot of fantasy Twitter is very, very high on Cam Akers this year. We'll see. I, I think Taylor's going to be the real deal for a long time, and, and, and I think Akers is fine. I just don't think he's in the same category as Jonathan Taylor. I wouldn't have put it like Mario put it, though. That was He brought some heat. <laughs> and, and that'll be it from us tonight. We appreciate it. If you uh, want to catch our Patreon show, you can do that by subscribing, $2.00. A month will get you the extra show. $4 a month will get you into the higher tiers where Justin's been working overtime to uh, get some information out on the draft and start to look at uh, some of the 2021 college programs and prospects to know. So it's early. Oklahoma's up right now, and, and uh, Alabama is going to follow probably. You'll probably see that on Wednesday on Patreon. So just if you're interested, that's how you find that. Um, we'll be back maybe next week, maybe in a couple of weeks. We're, we're deciding as, as it kind of slows down right here uh, how we're going to space out the summer. But we appreciate you for listening, and we'll be back uh, soon to uh, talk more college football draft with you. Thanks for listening as always. What do you guys think for the outro for now? Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now we could do um